So <clears throat> we're in Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to look at, start in verse 11. But before we do so, the title of my message is Great Privilege and Great Responsibility. And, um, you know, Jesus said in Matthew 16, 15 through 18, this is something we recently just looked at in the book of Luke, but this is also Matthew's recording of it. He said to them, but who do you say that I, that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So we have this you know, great declaration by Peter of who Jesus is, and Jesus responds by saying, I'm going to build my church. And if you, if you remember from a few weeks ago when Pastor Troy was teaching the book of Luke, we came across this same passage, and he pointed out the fact that this took place at Caesarea Philippi. And it's a beautiful location. We had the opportunity to go there last year when we went to Israel. A really beautiful location with a river running along downside the mountain there. But also it was a place, though, where a lot of idol worship took place. And they have carved out space in the mountains where you can see there was idols and there was worship, these false worship that took place over a long period of time. And it's with that backdrop that Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build something that the gates of hell will not prevail against. And so tonight, what I hope to have happen here as we look in Ephesians chapter 2 is we're going to look at where we were and where we are now and also just consider what we're a part of and being part of the church. So let me just read um, here, starting in verse 11, and, and we'll read down to the end of the chapter. Paul here says, Therefore remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called a circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near, for through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place for God in the Spirit. So Paul here um, really is taking us down memory lane. I mean, really the, the beginning of chapter 2 all the way to the point where we're starting tonight was remembrance, a reminder of what God had done and where they were at. And so um, that's where we are here in verse 11. We're remembering. And so Paul there says, therefore, remember. And we'll come back at the end to the therefore, the why he's telling them to remember. But for right now, I just want us to consider the remember, uh, you know, what we're being called to remember um, remember is a Greek word which, which is, means remember. It also means keep in mind, think of. And so Paul is telling us 
to keep in mind, to think of what I'm about to tell you, about to remind you of, to dwell on it. The tense of the verb remember tells us it is to be an ongoing action. And it also, the verb tense tells us this is a command. It's not something we're supposed to just ignore. We're being commanded to remember and to continue remembering what he's about to tell us. So one commentator says, remembering here means more than just bringing something to mind. It entails careful reflection and acting on the memories. And so my hope is, as we go through this, that we get to that, you know, and just that point there of acting on the memories. You know, we're not just supposed to remember for memory's sake as we go through this. It's supposed to cause us to act because of what we're thinking upon, what we're being reminded of. And so my prayer for this study is that this will cause us to think on what God has done for us. And uh, for many of us tonight, it's going to be just a reminder, just as it was for these Ephesian believers that Paul was writing, for, writing to. But, you know, my prayer is, again, that we would think on this and think about and be reminded of what he's made us a part of and how important that is. And that because we've thought upon it and we realize the blessing and the privilege that we have, that will cause us to be stirred to action. You know, if we're involved already, to be more involved in the church. And if we're not yet involved, to get involved in the church. And so, you know, the church is this amazing thing that God has done. And hopefully we'll see that tonight as we go through this and we'll be reminded of it. It's something that we're get, we get to be part of. We have the blessing of being part of the church and what God has done and is doing on this earth. So Paul here, telling the Ephesians, he says again to remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision. So, you know, we all once were Gentiles in the flesh. And, you know, before Christ came, there was only two people in the, in the world as far as God's, in, in God's eyes. There was Jews and Gentiles. That was the two people. You were either a Jew, you were either part of the chosen people of, of God, or you were a Gentile. And so for most of us in here tonight, we fall into that latter part. We were Gentiles. But the word once, Paul is saying here, is telling us this is something in the past. You once were Gentiles. And he uses that word four times in this chapter alone and five times in the letter overall. You know, in chapter um, 2, it is in verses 2, 3, and 13. And all five times he uses it referring to a past state of condition. So we were once Gentiles, not any longer. This is something in the past. And, you know, in, in being called the uncircumcised, you know, it wasn't a comment, a compliment, I should say, by the Jews. The Jewish people used that in a derogatory way towards the Gentiles. Uh, one commentator says, Jews being circumcised physically in the body disparaged all non-Jews by calling them the uncircumcised. This physical difference between Jews and Gentiles affected every, every area of their life, of their lives. A great social and spiritual boundary existed between them. So what we're being reminded of here is we were not part of the chosen people. You know, we were outsiders. And I think it's important that we remember that. And so that we don't take for granted what, where we are now and what God has done for us. In Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, Paul talks about this thing of, circumc of circumcision. He says, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, 
nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart and the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. And so, you know, the, the Jewish people had unfortunately gotten caught up in the over-significance of circumcision, and they thought that that made them in with God and okay because they were circumcised. And you kind of, Paul kind of takes a, a little slap at that here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, when he says, the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. You know, he's like, they want to make a big deal about this, but for many of them, it's just something outward. It wasn't something that had changed them. It was, it was not anything of eternal significance because it was just this outward thing. And that's what he's clarifying there in Romans chapter 2. So uh, he's making it clear that what really matters is not the physical or outward circumcision, but the inward circumcision of the heart. And so Paul reminding the Ephesian believers and reminding us here tonight from verse 11 is not to be, um, he's not putting us down. He's just reminding us is this is where you were. This is, you were, you were Gentiles. You were once Gentiles. You were on the outside looking in. And verse 12, he starts off there by reminding us that at that time you were without Christ. And that was a significant thing, you know, for us. We were without Christ. There was a time when, Gentile, when the Gentile world knew nothing of the Messiah. You know, they didn't have the scriptures. They didn't have the promises. They didn't know of a redeemer who would come to redeem them. And sadly, Many today in the world still know nothing of the Messiah. And so we should count it a privilege that we know that there was a Messiah that was to come and has come and, and offered his life for our sake. Uh, and, you know, without Christ, you know, it's reason it's important that he says without Christ here is that we, without him, we had no way back into fellowship with God. Our fellowship was broken. We were separated. We were lost, and there was no way back. There was no way to pay for our sin. There was no way to be made righteous. And so we, it was a horrible thing. It was a horrible place we were in to be without Christ. And so we must remember what a blessing we have because we know this and not take for granted that we know of the Redeemer and of the Messiah and because there was a time where most of our fellow Gentiles, we were in a place that we didn't know. But now today we do know, and we need to not take that for granted. So we were without Christ. We were Gentiles, Paul tells us. And then he goes on to say, and the next point is we were aliens and strangers. They are still in verse 12. You know, we were aliens and we were strangers. Aliens, we were not citizens of Israel. Uh, we were not part of the people God had chosen as his people. We were excluded. Strangers reminds us that we were unacquainted with the covenants. We had no vested interest in them because they were not made with us. And I was, you know, as you think about that and start to think through where we were before Christ, you realize we were in a very bad place, right? I mean, he had not made the covenants and promises with us. And that's why Paul reminds us in Romans 9, Three through five, speaking of his people, he says, For I could wish that I myself were a curse for Christ for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God and the promises, of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, the eternally blessed God. Amen. So they had a lot of rich history, right? They had these covenants and these promises from God that we as Gentiles didn't have. And, you know, as I was thinking about this, you know, in the Gentile world, 
really the only promises we had from God, so to speak, and there was one covenant in that, but one was Genesis 3.15, right? The promise of a redeemer. He made that to, the gent- to all the world. You know, to, he gave that to Eve there in, the, there in the garden after they fell, that he would bruise the head of Satan and that her offspring would come to do that. And then we have the one covenant we have was the Noahic covenant, which is given to the whole world. And that was a promise that God would never again destroy the world with a flood. That was a promise that was for us and for everyone because the Jewish race, the Jewish people did not exist at that time. But outside of that, we, didn't, we were on the outside looking in. We didn't have these promises. We didn't have the covenants. And so it was a bad place. And that's why Paul there goes on to say in verse 12 that we were hopeless. He says, having no hope, he says of us. And that word hope, you know, it means to look forward to something with some reason for confidence, uh, expecting fulfillment, hope, expectation. But we didn't have that. We were in a place of no hope, no hope in this life and no hope for eternity. That's the place we were in before Christ. And commentator speaking of this says, this is true of all non-believers, even today. It is so important in evangelism to help people understand the true reality of life apart from Christ. All who are outside of Christ are completely devoid of hope and have no true God to help them through life or give them meaning for the future. And, you know, again, as I was saying earlier, we need to not take for granted that we have this hope now and we know the Messiah. And yet so many still today don't have the hope. And it's our job to share that hope with them, to share the hope we have in Christ, the assurance that we have of salvation and the hope we have for the future. And, but where they were at before Christ is in stark contrast again to where we are today. You know, and hope is a word that's often repeated in the New Testament. New Testament is full of the use of the word hope because we as the children of God have hope. We are not hopeless. We're not in a place of hopelessness. And, you know, I just want to pause there just for a moment. And, you know, maybe you're listening on the radio or listening online or you're here tonight in person, and you're, you're feeling hopeless. You're feeling like there is no hope. Well, if you have Christ in your life, you have hope. And I would just encourage you to put, set your mind on him and the hope that you have in Christ, that he is going to, the hope is he's going to come and he's going to redeem us and take us to be with him. We have a home secure in heaven, guaranteed because of what Christ has done for us. So as a believer, we aren't without hope. We have a God who loves us and who knows us by name and has given us this hope and a a sure thing. And I just want to share a couple of verses. Colossians 1.27. There Paul says, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So if you have Christ in you, you have the hope of glory. You have the hope that you're going to be glorified with him and live forever with him in eternity. You have that. I have that. 1 Peter 1.3 speaks of this hope. Peter there says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So as a believer, we have a living hope. It should be alive in us. And we don't have to walk around with our head held low and saying, woe is me. We have hope. And he's given us this living hope. And, you know, so if you're not seeing that tonight, 
I encourage you to pray and ask the Lord to help you to see the hope that you have in Christ. And you're not hopeless. There is hope because you have Christ in your life. So the last thing, you know, of this bleak picture that Paul is painting about us as Gentiles and where we were, as he says there in the verse 12, is that we were without God. So verse 12 really ends where it begins. You know, he said we were without Christ, and here he says we're without God. Again, our main problem, you know, because of the fall, was we were separated from God because of our sin. We were separated. We were hopelessly lost. And apart from God's revelation, all people are in that place of being hopelessly lost if God had not revealed his truth to us. And, and so that's where we were. That's where Paul wants to remember that once, that's, this is the place we were in. We were without Christ. We were without God. We were without the covenants. You know, we were, we were, we were Gentiles. And we were strangers to those covenants. And we were without, all the, without hope. We were in this place of, of just, again, hopelessness. But that's not where we are now. And so we come here to verses 13 through 18. And this is what I call remember now. So that was then. We remember then. Now we're going to remember now. What is it like now? And now that Christ has come, everything has changed. Everything has been made different. And first of all, he tells us there in verse 13, he says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So in Christ, he tells us, in Christ is where we are now. It is only in Christ that we can know the things that Paul is about to describe, the things that he's about to lay out for us here. Without a relationship with Christ... A person is still without hope and without the things that Paul is about to remind us of and call us to remember now. And he tells us not only are we in Christ, but we've been brought near there in verse 13. He says, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We've been brought near to God and to his promises and to all the blessings that he has for his people. We've been brought near to him. And that word have been brought that is translated as three words there in English, but it's actually one Greek word. And in this context, it means to make a change of location in space to move. And so that's exactly what it is. We've moved. We've made a change of location. We were far away. Now we're near to God and again to the blessings that he has for us. And the tense of that verb, I found this interesting. It's the tense that's used there is the aorist tense, and it just means it's a snapshot of an event. So at a moment in time, we went from being far away to being near. And that happened in an instant when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. It wasn't something that took weeks or months or years for it to happen. When you and I put our faith in Christ, we were instantly transported from being far, far away to being brought near to God. And the mood of this verb in the Greek tells us that this is something that can happen in the past. So if you've put your faith in Christ, this has happened. So it's something yet to happen. It's something that is now, a reality that is now in your, in your life is that you're near. And so if we're not experiencing the nearness of God, it's not because that's not where he's placed us. It's because we've allowed things to come between us and the Lord. Because his desire and his plan was for us to be near. And he's brought us near to him. So <clears throat> this is something that's just, it's amazing to think about. 
you know, that it happened instantly in our life. He didn't wait and drag it out. He just did it the moment we put our faith in him. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking, what an amazing salvation we have, right? That God would just, we didn't deserve it, but he would just do this in a moment, just take us and bring us near him and not keep us far away and keep us at a distance. And we know who we are, right? We know our failures. We know where we were when Christ found us. And if it were up to us, we would keep people at a distance, but that's not the Lord. He brought us near to him. And Paul then goes on to tell us that Christ is our peace there. You know, verse 14, for he says, for he himself is our peace. And, you know, notice the, the words, the way Paul words that. He says he himself, in other words, Christ himself is our peace. You know, there had to be a sacrifice there had, for us to have peace with God. Our sin required a payment to be made. As Hebrews 9.22 tells us, indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so Jesus himself became our peace. He became our sacrifice and made it possible for us to have peace with God, made it possible for our sins to be forgiven. And then he goes on, the next thing is he's made the both, both one. Who are the both? Well, the both are the Jews and the Gentiles. He's made both of us one. And he says there, you know, that there was enmity between Jews and Gentiles. You know, prior to Christ, Jews and Gentiles were at odds with each other. Um, there was enmity between us. And that enmity means hostility. Some of your translations will have it translated that way. We'll say hostility. And that's, it is describing a state of deep-seated ill will. <laughs> so it was serious between the Jews and the Gentiles. There was deep-seated ill will between the two of us. But no longer are Gentiles or Jews, are we Gentiles or Jews, but now we are new people. And that's what Paul is telling us here, that he has made both one. He's taken the two and made them one. And he's done this by creating in himself one new man. Uh, one commentator says, when a, Jew, Jew, I'm sorry, when a Jew believes in the Lord Jesus, he loses his national identity. From then on, he is in Christ. Likewise, when a Gentile receives the Savior, he is no longer a Gentile. Henceforth, he is in Christ. In other words, believing Jew and believing Gentile, once divided by enmity, are now both one in Christ. Their union with Christ necessarily unites them with one another. And so this is an amazing thing that the Lord's happened. And it's kind of over time, you know, 2,000 years later, we've kind of lost sight a little bit of this, you know, because we're not as familiar. We didn't live in when they lived. But this was something that was very real for them. It was a very real hostility that existed. And Christ took care of all that. He took the Jewish believer and the Gentile believer, and he made them one in Christ. And I think, you know, a point for us in that, that we can take from that. If God was able to do that, how much more is he able to do that today with anyone, you know, no matter their background, no matter where they come from, no matter their status in life, no matter who they are or who we are, if our faith is in Christ and their faith is in Christ, he's made us one. And we need to seek to do all we can to maintain that unity and that oneness that God has made possible in Christ. You know, Paul uses some strong language to describe what Christ did in making this happen. The has broken down there in verse 14 
means to reduce something by violence into components to destroy is what that word means. And having abolished, which is, I think, there in verse 15, means to cause something to lose its power of effectiveness, invalidate, make powerless. And so, you know, there was the commandments, the law, and those, you know, were at, we were at odds because of that. And it's not because the law was bad. The law wasn't necessarily the problem. The problem was our own sinful nature that was there. And Christ, you know, had to do away with all of that. He, he had to tear down that wall of separation. Now, if you read about the wall of separation, there's many, not many, but there are people disagree on what's being referred to there. Some will say that was the, the, the wall that was in the temple yard that divided Jews from Gentiles. Some will say, well, no, it was specifically the law of commandments that stood between us. But at any rate, the point was we were divided, and Christ had to deal with that, and he did. He had to deal with that enmity, that ill will that existed between the two of us. But it wasn't just between us that that was, the pro that was a problem, between Jews and Gentiles. Paul goes on to tell us here, in the next in verse 16, that he has reconciled us to God. And so this word reconcile means to bring together again, and so there was enmity between us and God. And you see that earlier in Ephesians chapter 2. You know, you know, we were the sons of disobedience. You know, we were, sept we were by nature there in verse 3, children of wrath. And so there was enmity between us and God. And Christ took care of that. He reconciled us to God. He brought us back together again. And, that, and that, all that was because of our flesh was at odds with, with God and his righteous law. We were powerless to keep it, you know, and, and as a result, we were under the curse. Galatians 3.10, Paul says, For as many are of the works of the law are under the curse, where it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So the problem was us, right? The law was perfect. There was nothing wrong with the law. But the law told us this is the standard. And none of us were able to keep it. And as a result, because we couldn't keep the whole thing, we were under a curse. But Christ came and he fulfilled the law. And he made it possible for us to have the righteousness we need. He gave us his righteousness. And we have now have the righteousness of Christ by faith in him alone. So in Colossians 2.14, I think, relates to what Paul is saying here um, in these verses 14 through 16. It says, by counseling the record of debt, that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And so in Christ, we are reconciled to God. Um, and this is only possible because Jesus took our place. And that, that's really, I think, the point here. Uh, it's Christ who's reconciled us. And so that brings us to what else has, has happened, is he's come and preached peace um, to us who are far. Verse 17, it says, And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off, and to those who were near. So Jesus offers peace to all who will receive it, both Jews and Gentiles, both those who are near because they were the chosen people and those who are Gentiles who are far off because we, they, they weren't the, we weren't the chosen people. And to all mankind, Jesus comes and has preached peace to both. And, and it's important, I think, we remember that this message is for all people. And sometimes you will hear people say, you know, falsely say that, 
well, the Christianity is a Western religion. You know, it's only for, it's, it came from the West. Well, that's not true, right? It was, the Middle East is where Jesus was from. But Christianity and the faith and the peace that's offered is for all people. Because everyone has the same problem. We are all dead in our trespasses and sins. We're all lost apart from God. And it doesn't matter where you're from. You need what Jesus is offering. And this has been some, it wasn't something new, just in the New Testament, Isaiah 57, 19. God says this, I create the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to him who is far off and to him who is near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. And so the Lord's desire, again, is he's speaking peace through Jesus Christ. He's come and is offering peace and offering this to anyone who wants to receive it. And again, it doesn't matter where you're from. And, you know, I just want to encourage, you know, those of us here tonight or those listening, you know, online is that, you know, if you are on the radio, even if you don't know, <laughs> if you've not given your life to Jesus Christ, I encourage you, don't wait. He stands offering peace to you. He says, I, come, receive the peace that I'm offering to you, the forgiveness of sins. It's available for you, and it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've come from. If you're willing to confess your sins and come to me for forgiveness, you can have peace. And it's available, again, to everyone who, who wants to take it. So Jesus Christ is our peace. Ephesians 2.14 says that. We just looked at that a few moments ago. In 2.15, it says he made peace. And now here in this verse, it says he preached peace. As the judge, he could have come to declare war, but in his grace, he came with the message of peace. And that was at his first coming. Jesus came with this message of peace, but we know that one day he's going to come again. And when he comes again, he's not coming with the message of peace. He's coming to judge. He's coming to deal with sin. But today is the day of salvation. Peace is available for anyone who wants it. It's available for you to have. And then verse 18, it says that we have access through Christ is what Paul is telling us. It says, for through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. And to me, this is one of the really beautiful things about our Christian faith is that anyone has access to the Father through Christ. Um, it's only in Christ that this is possible, but we're all equal at the foot of the cross. There's no have and have nots. Anyone can come and have access because of Christ and what he's done. And uh, I'd encourage you to write this down. We don't have time to look at it right now, but Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, Paul kind of elaborates on this and just talks about, you know, all, you know, one father, one spirit. You know, we've all been baptized into one body. And so just this powerful truth that Anyone who wants can have the access because Christ has made it possible. It's available for us to take. So <clears throat> that brings us to the church. So this is what was, you know, the thing that once were. This is what's now. We have peace. The walls have been torn down. We have access. We've been reconciled to God. And so in the remainder of our time, I want to talk about what Paul goes into in verses 19 through 22, which is the church. Um, and let me just read those verses again before we talk about it. It says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, 
in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So Paul here, again, is bringing us to this important truth of, of this institution, this building that the Lord is building, and it's the church. And the church is something that is so important, and I hope that we can see that as we consider these verses here tonight. But I just want to remind you, you know, this letter is written to believers, and hopefully you've seen, you've seen that as we've been going through the verses we've gone through. It's written to people who are in Christ, and that's who he's addressing so verse, the first part of verse 19, he again kind of reminds us no longer this thing. He says, now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners. Um, again, kind of already alluded to that earlier on. You know, once that was true, once we were alien, uh, strangers and foreigners, but no longer the case. Now, I don't know how many of you have had the opportunity to travel overseas, right? But when you travel overseas... Um, one thing that always strikes me is just how, to out, how out of place I feel, you know, because nothing seems familiar, right? Because I'm a foreigner, I'm a stranger. You know, the language isn't familiar, the signs don't look familiar, the, uh, the food is different, you know, even the sleeping arrangements and the bathroom arrangements, and you go down the line, everything is different. Everything, I feel strange, I feel out of place. And I think that's what Paul's alluding to. He's, you know, at one time, we would have felt out of place, but that's not any longer. No longer is that, should that be the case because now we're fellow citizens with the saints and we're members of the household of God. Um, this fellow citizens with the saints, um, and this is, we are citizens with all who are holy and set apart to God is what he's reminding us of here. And that's everybody that's in this room that's everybody that's listening uh, in some format, or that's the church down the road that where they have, they've had their faith in Christ, or the church other side of the world. We all together are citizens together with one another. We've all been set apart for God and for his purposes. And you know, it's another thing that I've always struck me about traveling is how wonderful it is to go and work with other believers in another country. And to see the camaraderie and the fellowship that you can have with them when you, when you meet them for the first time. They're strangers on a human level, but you're not strangers spiritually because they have like, mind, like faith as we in Jesus Christ. And so there's that immediate bond and there's that immediate connection that we have with one another. And, you know, this citizenship, I don't think it's not only for the here and now, those who are alive now, but all who have gone before us. We're connected to them. We are citizens with those who have gone before us as well. And we're, so we now are a part of a community. And as such, we're in a place that has privilege. You know, citizenship is a big deal. It's still a big deal today. It was definitely a big deal in their day if you're a Roman citizen or not. And it's definitely a big deal today, too, to be a citizen. And, you know, a citizenship... Um, brings with it protection and privileges. And, you know, if you're not a citizen of a country that you're in, you don't have certain protection and privileges when you're there, if you're not a citizen. And I know, again, traveling, I've always been very thankful to come back to customs here in the U.S. and be reminded that I'm a U.S. citizen. You know, it's, it's good to be home. You know, it's good to be back to where I'm familiar with. 
and to the protection and the privileges that I have as a citizen. But that's just on a human level. Spiritually speaking, we have privileges and protections afforded to us by God because we are now citizens of his kingdom. And that's what Paul is driving at here, is that we have all of those are ours. Every, one, every privilege, every protection that is afforded anybody who's a citizen of, of God's kingdom is yours and mine, because we're now citizens together with, with, uh, and with all the other saints. And so, again, I just want to drive home this point. That applies to everybody. You know, and the enemy really tries, I think, to work hard at times to get some of us to feel like we're lesser and we don't have some stuff, you know, because maybe we've stumbled. You know, maybe we aren't as sharp as the next Christian. You know, maybe we aren't as talented or gifted as the next Christian. The enemy can try to make us feel like we don't, well, this doesn't apply to me. Well, that's a lie. This does apply to you. You are, we're fellow citizens, all equally together, having the same rights and the same privileges that are afforded to those who are citizens of God's kingdom. And then not only are we citizens, but we're members of the household of God. Um, and, you know, that's one Greek word there. And, 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 and it means persons who are related by kinship or circumstances and form a closely knit group, members of a household. And its focus here is on association with a, in a common cause or relief. So we're connected to one another. We're members of this household of God and we're connected in a common cause of advancing his kingdom and seeing his name glorified and his name lifted up. And, and it's a privilege to be able to do, to do that together as the body of Christ, to serve together. And again, you know, one of the tremendous blessings I've had, whether it be going on a missions trip or it be serving here in the community with other brothers and sisters, is that it's an awesome thing to work for the kingdom of God together, to each there be rubbing shoulders side by side, seeking to, for the same cause of advancing Christ and seeing his name lifted up. And if you've never had an opportunity to do that, I want to encourage you to, to not wait, to take advantage of the next opportunity you see to, to stand side by side with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ for the cause of Christ and to labor together for his kingdom. Now, both of these truths, the fact that we're fellow citizens with the saints and we're members of the household of God, are, um, are the reminders that we are in a place where we belong. We have a home. <laughs> we belong here. And, um, and I hope you realize that tonight, that you belong in, as a part of the family of God. If you've put your faith in Christ, you're a fellow citizen. You're a member of the household of God. Jesus in uh, John, in John 1, 12 through 13, says this, is, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So if you've received him, you have, you've been given the right to become children of God. You know, you are a member of the household of God. You're a fellow citizen with the saints. And so what does all this means, mean for us? Well, in verse 20, Paul goes in to talk about the foundation and the cornerstone. In verse 20, he mentions that the, that the foundation, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. This word foundation means the basis for something taking place or coming into being, the foundation 
or it can also mean the indispensable prerequisite for something to come into being. And so the disciples were part of, and the disciples and the prophets of the New Testament were part of the church coming into being. God used them. Now, they were not the foundation, and I don't think that's what Paul was trying to say there, because in 1 Corinthians 3.11, it says, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the foundation. The apostles and prophets were used by God to, um, to, for the establishment of the church. And they were, and what they, the message they had was built upon the foundation. And as Paul goes on to talk about in a minute, the cornerstone, which is Jesus Christ. But what I think is important, and as I was thinking about this today, especially in our time, is important to remember that the apostles and prophets had a purpose. And one of them was, many of them were used by the Lord to give us the New Testament, to give us God's truth. And one of the challenges we face in our culture today is many people are saying, if something is old, then we don't need it. It's just old. We don't need that. We know better, is what a lot of people are saying, because, you know, we're smarter, we're wiser, we know better than those who went before us. And that is simply not true. And in fact, it's foolish. It's very foolish. And caught up in part, some of that, I think, is this idea that the world began when they arrived. You know, we kind of have this notion today that people believe history started when we got here. Well, it didn't start when we got here. There are people who have gone before us, and even more importantly for us as part of the church, there's our brothers and sisters in Christ who have gone before us. And that's the apostles and prophets or some of those, and the saints that came after them. They've gone before us. And we shouldn't just cast off and say we know better. We need to hear, especially these guys, because they were inspired by God to give us God's truth. And once for all, there's not some other better idea out there. It's, we have all we need right here in the, in the Word of God. So, um, and we need to hear it. We need to hear what they have to say. And as I said, Paul goes on to say that Christ is the cornerstone. He's the, found, the foundation stone upon which the structure rested. Um, just a couple things about cornerstones. In ancient building practices, the chief cornerstone was carefully placed. It was crucial because the entire building was lined up with it. And so it was an important piece of the building. Uh, um, another, I look, looking into, I found this architectural website talking about cornerstones, and it says, in relation to architecture, a cornerstone is traditionally the first stone laid for a structure with all other stones laid in reference. A cornerstone marks the geographical location by orienting a building in a specific direction. And I've, I found that interesting. I mean, because I think that's a, aptly applies to Christ. He's oriented us in a specific direction. You know, he's the cornerstone. He's the one upon which all of this is built. And we need to make sure that we recognize that. So let's talk about what Paul says here in verses 21 through 22 as we begin to head toward the end. It's like God's work in our place. So Paul, first of all, as after talking about the foundation and the cornerstone, begins to talk about God's work and what God's doing. And, you know, in these verses, he says that in Christ, this building is being fitted together. So Christ is at work fitting the building together that he's building, fitting the church together. That word being fitted together means to join together so as to form a coherent entity, fit slash join together. So Christ is at work fitting together his building. 
and making it a coherent entity, something that's useful for his kingdom and for his glory. It's not just the building, though, that he's fitting together, right? It's each of us that he's fitting together. Each of us are the stones that he's putting in place. First Peter 2.5, Peter there says, You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. You and I are the ones that Jesus is fitting together. You and I are the ones that he's building together. That, he goes on to say that they are built together. In verse 22, in whom you also are being built together. And that means to build up or construct of various parts, build up. And I like that various parts, right? Because we're all various parts, right? I mean, we're all very different. You know, our background, our history, our ethnicity, all those different things. You think through the ages of the church, how much variety there is in the body of Christ. All various parts. And yet the Lord in his wisdom is placing them together for a purpose, and uh, Paul gives us here in these verses that purpose is a dwelling place for, of God in the Spirit. And in verse 21, a holy temple in the Lord. And so um, the Lord is doing this work. And, you know, I just wanted to point out again about the verbs that are used here um, in the Greek language. Both of them, both they are being built together um, and being fitted together. Both of those, the verb tenses, the meaning is that uh, in those is that it's an ongoing action. It's not finished. You know, so Paul's saying this is something that's ongoing, him build, building his church. And so we didn't miss out. It wasn't just the early church. That was this thing God was building. We today are part of the ongoing building project that Christ is doing. And they're in the passive voice, which I think you can catch from reading these verses, which means we, the building, are the receiver of the action. We're not building ourselves. The, the Lord is building us. He's fitting us together. He's placing us in the spot that he wants us. And so this is not some haphazard construction project, right? It's not some uh, lazy work. It's Jesus Christ, the master carpenter, is skillfully putting us together. He's doing the work of building us in a way that, just as he said he would, right? You know, I remind you, back in Matthew, Jesus said, I will build my church. And that's what Jesus... Paul is telling us that Jesus today is building his church. And as I said a moment ago, the purpose for this being done is to build a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 18, um, Paul there is using the analogy of a body, but it's very similar. He says, but now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. And so you have a place in the building called the church. You are a part of something much bigger than yourself, and so am I. We have a place where God has placed us. You belong because you're in Christ. So let's go back to the therefore that I mentioned. So why therefore is Paul saying this? And I think you could, do all, you could look at all of the first 10 verses, but I just want to focus on 8 through 10 there, Ephesians chapter 2, where Paul says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared for beforehand, that we should walk in them. So the Lord has not done all that we've read about tonight. He's not taken us from being far and now near. 
He's not allowed us access to the Father, made us one with the Jews, Jews and Gentiles made one, you know, um, spoke peace to us and offered peace. He's not done all these things that we've talked about tonight for our benefit alone. It's not just for our benefit. He's done it for, um, for us so that we can now be a part of what he's doing. And one of the dangers, and I, don't, I haven't been able to figure out whether it's just human nature or whether it's Americanism, but maybe they're connected, but is that we are fiercely focused on independence too often. You know, we're focused on my personal salvation, you know, and there is a part of that. We, are, we do have an individual relationship with Jesus Christ, and we are able to know him personally, but it's so much more than that. We're, we are connected as the household of God to one another. We are members together with the saints. And it's not just me and my faith and you and your faith. It's our faith together, walking hand in hand and, and making ourselves available for the Lord's use. And so the Lord has not done these things just so we can sit here and bask in the salvation that he's given us. And yes, he wants us to bask in it, to relish the fact that we've been given this privilege and, and all that's tied to it. It's a wonderful salvation. But it's so much more than that. He has given us what I think is a great responsibility, a responsibility that we have to, to drive us, and hopefully that will, that we will see that and push us into action. You know, as he says there in verse 10 of chapter 2, we've been created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're in the church for a purpose, and the purpose is for good works that he's prepared for us to do. Um, the same Greek word that is translated in verse 21 when we're talking about being fitted together is, is only used one other place in the New Testament, and that's in this same letter here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16. And there, Paul says, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So that word joined there is that same word, being fitted together. We're joined for a purpose. And Paul tells us here in Ephesians chapter 4 that that purpose is that each of us would do our share. And as we do our share, the body of Christ or the, the structure that God is building grows and is edified and is strengthened as each of us do the part that God's created us to do. We're in a place where he has skillfully placed us. It's not by accident that our, we're that part or that stone in the building that God's building. He skillfully has placed us there. And we have something that he's gifted us with that we've given to us and supplied us with so that we can share it with others so that the body of Christ can benefit. And so as we conclude here tonight, you know, first of all, and I've hopefully all of you are in this place that are listening, but are you in Christ? You know, do you have a relationship with him? You know, do you know that your sins are forgiven? Given? Have you accepted the offering of peace that he has offered and if you are in Christ, you know, you've been given a great privilege, and so have I, a very great privilege. You've been, you and I have been brought near. We've been given peace with God. We've been given access into his presence. We're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You're a part of the church. You're a part of this eternal work that God is doing. 
And, you know, my heart, and hopefully, at the very least, we'll walk away from this with just a greater burden for the church, after being reminded of what the church is tonight. The church is in a bad place in this world right now because of so many people being separated from one another. You know, the body of Christ is suffering, and we need to pray. Thank God for what he's doing here at Calvary Chapel Lynchburg. Thank God that so many are coming out, and we're having the opportunity to fellowship and to worship and to hear God's word. But there's a lot of places where this isn't the case, you know, where it's not the case at all. And so be in prayer and be burdened for the church, but also I just want to exhort you tonight is that, you know, again, you've been placed in the body of Christ for a reason and in a spot where he's placed you. He knows what he's doing. You know, he didn't make a mistake. And so are you walking in the works he's prepared for you? You know, and I just pray that you'll think about that tonight. Are you walking in the works that he's prepared for you to do? And if not, you know, what's keeping you from doing it? You know, what's keeping you from doing your share the part that God's called you to do. You know, is it fear that's keeping you from doing it? You know, is it uh, you've been hurt before? Um, is it you, maybe you just feel like you don't have what it takes? Well, let me tell you, none of us have what it takes apart from Jesus Christ. I wouldn't be standing up here talking to you if it wasn't for Jesus Christ, because I know I don't have what it takes. I know I don't have what's needed, but I know he does and he has supplied it, and you have it. And so don't take for granted what you've been given. The privilege of all of this also necessitates that there's responsibility attached to it, that we don't get to just say, well, Lord, I just thought it best that I sit there, that I didn't feel worthy, or I was too afraid. Do you really think that that's the answer that you're going to be okay with when you stand before the Lord? And so I don't know, I have no idea, you know, what God has called you to do or what you're doing, but, you know, if you're doing something, keep doing it. Don't be discouraged. Don't grow weary. And if you're not, be a part of it. Don't miss out. The worship team can come forward, and we're going to close in prayer and a song here. And there'll be some of us up here to pray. And, you know, if you, again, if you don't know Christ, we'd love to share with you tonight. And if you are realizing, I need to step out and I need to get involved, well, well, we would love to pray with you and ask God to give you the boldness and the strength to let you use him, let him use you for, your, for his purposes. But let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the reminder tonight of all that I've been given, Lord. I've been given so much and not a single bit of it do I deserve, Lord. And Yet you, Lord, have called me and you've called each of us to be a part of the church, a part of this structure that you have been building, Lord, for 2,000 years now. And Lord, I pray that we, Lord, would just see what you see. Lord, the church is important to you. Lord, the church is not um, irrelevant to you, Lord. It matters to you so much so, Lord Jesus, that your word says in Ephesians 5 that you gave your life for us, Lord. You gave your life for the church. And so, Lord, may we not take for granted, Lord, what we're a part of. And I just pray that you'd give us a greater vision, Lord, tonight of the church, a greater vision of our place in it, and just a heart to let you use us, God, because I know you want to. I know you have a purpose for us. And so, Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ, and I just pray you'd encourage them and strengthen them in their faith tonight. 
And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.